Welcome to New York State of Crime, a podcast exploring New York's most disturbing criminal cases. I'm Brenna. And I'm Peter. And welcome to our fourth episode. Fourth episode. Wow. Did you think we would make it this far? I mean, honestly, yeah, because these were all, like, pre-recorded before we released them. No, I mean, I... Okay. Sorry, I fucked it up. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway! Well, you've heard about quite a few murders, quite a few stories from us. Like three. Three. Oh, I always forget we didn't... we, We counted out that last one. There's a lost episode now. That maybe we'll re-record someday. Yeah, we, uh... (laughs) That, uh, Peter got overzealous and decided to just straight up raw dog an episode. Whoa. After... (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) After reading one Wikipedia article about it. That's not true. I watched a documentary. I read the Wikipedia. And I read all of the sources that contributed to the Wikipedia article. you read it all. And I watched a bunch of things. And I listened to the 911 calls. So... It wasn't just off of it wasn't Wikipedia cuff. <laughs> well, I mean, raw dogging as in, was I pissed about it? And did I go hard in the research? Yes, yes. I did. But it was not a listenable episode. Anyway, anyway this okay. is an episode that's a real one. It's a real episode. That I have researched. Um, basically, this one came up as a recent news story, just like our last one. I mean, I'm surprised how fast, like, just recent things are coming at us. So, yeah, there's, like, a bunch of stuff that's come up in the news um, that has led us to investigate some stories for everyone. So, like, we have this great list of, of older stories to tell, but, like, things keep coming up, which is awesome. I mean, not awesome because crimes are happening. Crime is not awesome. But this one is an old one that was solved, so that's all I'll tell you. I'm going to kind of... Uh, leave you in the dark a little bit about what happened here. Okay. Um, but I'm going to tell you the story about Brenda Kerber. Brenda Kerber. Brenda Kerber. All right. So let me set the stage here. First, we need to know about two things. First, Peter, tell me what you know about Westchester County's reservoirs. Uh, well, there's several of them. They're pretty big. I think one of them has several bridges over it. Like, it, it's got a bridge for, like, the throughway, the Taconic, and, and something else. And these supply water to the city. Mm-hmm. So are they, they are patrolled. Yes. Yeah. By. EPA, I think? No. No. The DEP. The DEP. That's it. Okay, so this is one of the two things I was going to set up with this case. The reservoirs, which are bodies of water that are like man-made and man-controlled but they basically look like lakes so basically like westchester county has a ton of lakes but they're just they're lakes that are controlled and man-made to supply yeah modified to be to make them clean and have a lot of water and then they filter that water and they send it all the way back down to our taps in new york city and that's why our water tastes so damn good because it's from upstate it's really the best tasting water ever Anyway, so that's what a reservoir is. And the reservoirs are patrolled by the Department of Environmental Protection, the DEP. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is where our story begins. Okay. Um, so 
I am an expert in the DEP, obviously, obviously, because my dad used to work for the DEP as a child, and I used to go to their Take Your Daughter to Work days, and they would just teach you everything about DEP and what they do, and so, like, they protect the reservoir, make sure people don't pee in it, or, like, fish <laughs> in it, or, like try to bioterrorism it and then there's like they employ all sorts of scientists that study like what kind of life lives in it so that they can filter it out properly to make good tap water Mm -hmm. so this is what they were doing recently this past winter in the muscoot reservoir which is in westchester county they were studying the bottom of the reservoir because they have to like go down there make sure like nothing weird is down there there's no like new species that like accidentally ended up like fish or algae or whatever. So they're doing like their normal DEP study of the reservoir bottom. And DEP officials came across a submerged vehicle. Ooh. Right? Ooh, spoopy. A few days after this discovery on January 19th, 2021, the local police pulled a 1982 Ford Granada out of the Muscoot Reservoir right off of Route 100 in Somers, New York, which is in Westchester County. They later found human remains inside the vehicle. Inside the vehicle. Isn't this crazy? Yes. And those remains were later confirmed through dental records to be those of Miss Brenda Kerber, a 40-year-old mother of two who disappeared in 1989, over 30 years ago. Wow. So like this was the this was like the whole story basically when I got the like alert on my phone that a body had been pulled out of the reservoir I was like holy fucking shit holy fucking shit this is crazy <laughs> but then I was like well let me find out what happened to her and how she went missing yeah. and then we got and even then. deeper so let me tell you about Brenda and like how she ended up in the reservoir all right here before we start Brenda here's a picture of them pulling the car out and how like fucked up it looks oh it's a station wagon yeah it's, it's a, a it's a K car. Or a know. Buick, you said? It's a 1982 oh, a Ford, Granada. Ford Granada. Okay, so like a station wagon. Yeah, sure. it's just like an old Ford station wagon. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't old when it was would when it been, went missing. It would have been seven years old. Seven so. years old. So like a regular car. Old. Regular car, yeah. So this is her car that she's driving. Okay. Okay, so Brenda Kerber was born in 1949 in Corvallis, Oregon to her parents, Jim and Dortha. I think it's Dortha or Dorothea. But it looks like Dortha. So Brenda Kerber was born in 1949 in Corvallis, Oregon, to her parents, Jim and Dortha Barat. Her parents said Brenda was a very good student, a pretty normal kid through high school. After high school, she married her high school sweetheart, Jim Gillespie. Jim. Right? That sounds like a man who hangs out in a bowling alley. Oh, totally. I want to be Jim. Um, So Jim and Brenda had their first daughter, Shannon. Oh. Unfortunately, the high school sweetheart thing didn't work out, and they divorced soon no. after. But Brenda went back and finished her college education okay. in 1973, and then she married her college sweetheart, Michael Kerber. That's oh. where she gets her new last name. Michael. Um, Michael was apparently really nice. He adopted Shannon, her other daughter, Cute. and they later had a son, David. So Brenda and Michael lived with their kids in Oregon, where she first worked as a teacher and then as a computer analyst in an insurance company. And soon after those career successes, Brenda and Michael admitted that their relationship was not going well. And this is when Brenda became very interested in a local minister named Tony Chester. He was involved in some meditation groups and she seemed to be kind of doing some soul searching. 
like meditation. That's fine. Sure. She also became involved in a group who apparently had a guru that she followed named Yogananda and followed his teachings. So it's the 70s. She's getting a little bit into uh, some of this stuff. Or it's the 80s at this point. But um, Then in the summer of 1987, her young minister friend, Tony Chester, relocated to California following some of the other um, religious uh, meditation group people. And Brenda followed him, living outside the Bay Area and outside of Oregon for the first time in her life. So... Is she still with her husband at this oh, point? Oh, they get divorced too. I don't, I wasn't clear if it was before or after she moved, but they eventually get divorced too. Okay, sure. Unfortunately. Yeah. I think, I think what I read was that that divorce kind of fueled some of her soul searching too, yeah. because she was a little depressed about that. And sure. that's when she started to, um, the relationship was already not going well. Then she was getting involved with Tony Chester. And then I think they broke up somewhere in there. Fucking Tony Chester. So she <laughs> moves to California. Um, she doesn't live with Tony, but she kind of follows him to California. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when Brenda became active in the Zen Buddhism movement. And Brenda's parents believe that Tony Chester was actually a recruiting agent for a man named Dr. Frederick Lenz at this time. And that Tony had enlisted Brenda to help Dr. Lenz recruit new members to his group. Now, this is where the story gets a little bit wild. Let me tell you about Dr. Frederick Lenz. First, let me show you a picture of him. Oh, his hair is, uh, is interesting. You know, he he looks like someone's mom from the yes, 80s. Yes, he's like, wearing just a the necklace. the big curly hair, the necklace, the, like, the shawl-like sweater. That's really weird, but okay, sure. He looks enlightened, maybe. He certainly felt enlightened. So, Dr. Frederick Philip Lenz III... Oh, the third. ...was a self-proclaimed American Buddhist who ran a group of followers that a number of psychologists and former members later considered to be a cult. Oh, good. Lenz, who also went by the name Rama and Atmananda in his spiritual life, mm. was known to others as the yuppie guru <laughs> and the compu-cult leader. Whoa. He had a PhD in philosophy from SUNY Stony Brook. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> I no. I, he, I'm traumatized from that. I know man. you are. Oh. And he was obsessed with computer science when he began to practice spirituality inspired by various Eastern religions. As a spiritual guru, he performed miracles, including levitation, teleportation, disappearing, turning entire rooms into molten gold light, uh, projecting light from his hands, and transforming into an old, bearded Asian man before his followers' eyes. Um, are they sure about that? Um, rumors are there was a bit of LSD involved in some of these spiritual practices, uh-huh. though it wasn't central to what they did, but, uh-huh. um, yes. So sure. They, they are sure he did that, apparently. Good. He also took his students to Disneyland, where apparently a number of these events were witnessed. So he's just, like, in the middle of Disneyland, disappearing and turning rooms into molten gold. 
Yeah, sounds fake, but okay. Right. Um, Lenz was also supposedly an advocate for women's empowerment through work, and he believed strongly that people could use technology and challenging fields like computer science to help them reach spiritual enlightenment. So it's kind of like... That's interesting. It's like Silicon Valley in like the 80s and 90s, and like people like learning coding and like computers for the first time meets like the aging hippies from like the 60s and 70s in California. Like those two things combining. That is... It's really wild. That's fascinating, really. Yeah. And um, Lenz, students of of Dr. Lenz have reported that he required his devotees to treat him like a god Mm -hmm. and that he would sexually and financially exploit them while he was living in luxury on his Long Island mansion. Why do all the cult leaders... (laughs) have to get sexual can't it ever just be about the money no (laughs) um i mean he adamantly denied all of this but numerous students have come out and said they had either totally non-consensual experiences or like very manipulative experiences with dr lens while they were his students and finance the financial exploitation was very deep as well former cult members families and parents had started a group for like survivors of this cult Mm. and um they had told a newspaper that at one point they estimated six million dollars was lost from their children paid to dr lens for these seminars on using computer science for spiritual enlightenment wow yeah so this is what brenda kerber was getting herself into When she moved to California. Why would you do this? Yes. So after getting involved with Tony Chester and with Dr. Lenz's spiritual movement in California, Brenda moved to New York to be closer to Frederick's home, uh, home base of Long Island, and to attend his advanced seminars that he held there. Now, he held these at like at SUNY Stony Brook, like in public. Like, he didn't invite them to his fancy house, even mm-hmm. though he had, like, a multi-million dollar mansion. He would just, like, host these kind of, like, you know, just, like, real estate seminar, like, in a public place, like a like a conference room. Like the, you know, Marriott Ballroom yeah. C or yeah. something. And so these seminars, like, they were paying, like, thousands of dollars to go to, like, these week-long seminars or, like, multi-day seminar conference things with Dr. Lenz. In the late 80s, thousands of dollars. Oh, so that's a fair bit of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, And at the time that Brenda left California, her younger child, David, was still living with her. Brenda sold all her possessions before moving to New York and signed custody of her child over to her ex-husband. So she, like, totally pieced when she moved to New York. Wow. When she arrived in New York, she moved into the home of an elderly lady in Mount Kisco. She just rented a room from her. She got a job in New York City in computer programming, which was likely inspired by Dr. Lenz's belief in enlightenment through work with computers. But she was fired from that job after just two months. She had never been fired from a job before. She had had really good career success previously, so this would have been a terrible blow to her and people later think this had something to do with what happens very soon after there was no no information about why she was fired no it kind of no there wasn't any information i mean i kind of read into it that maybe she just wasn't very good at Mm. the computer programming like that maybe she had taken the seminars with dr lens and was trying to learn these skills to be able to be employed but maybe he just wasn't actually teaching them in her diary she talks about her worry after getting 
fired from this job that she would not be able to pay for more seminars, which were at the time $1,000 to $1,500 each. And she was confiding in Dr. Lenz about this worry, and he was just being really cold to her and not really caring, which also upset her. She couldn't find another job in computer science or computer businesses, and she ended up working as a waitress to make ends meet. In September of 1989, Brenda sent a note to her parents, with whom she'd been increasingly distant. She said, After much thought, really, it seems in my best interest to take a long break from you, six months or so. I have explained the best I know how, what I am up to these days, but you don't seem to understand. Methinks you don't want to. Methinks. <laughs> Jesus. I know. It wasn't what you had in mind. I appreciate all you do for the kids. They are very fortunate to have you as grandparents." End quote. Soon after this, Brenda moved again, this time to White Plains, New York, and she rented a room from a man named Gerald Descharnes. So on September 28th of 1989, this was soon after she had written that letter, the Bedford police sergeant Charles Salmon saw Kerber in her vehicle, stopped in the street near the Katona fire station, and he said she looked lost, and when he talked to her, she said she was trying to find Mount Kisco, which this seems weird because she had just lived in Mount Kisco before, but anyway, she just seemed like she didn't know where she was driving she to. She was disoriented. Yeah. He gave her directions, and she left, headed to the Mount Kisco resident of her friend Tony Chester that afternoon. So it seems Tony had also moved from California to New York at this point. Mm -hmm. So Brenda did get to Tony Chester's house that afternoon, and he later reported that she seemed to be under a lot of stress. The two went to a movie, and they talked. Um, he talked to her again on October 1st, just a few days later, uh, letting her know that he had some mail for her because they shared a P.O. box to help um, seemingly to communicate with the other cult people. And Tony Chester later said that she basically said, don't worry about it in regards to the mail. He okay. says, I took that to mean that she would pick it up later. She sounded like she was in a hurry to go somewhere, and I figured she was on her way to work. On October 10th, so 10 days later, Brenda's landlord, Mr. Descharnes, reported her missing. He had not seen her for about a week. It's assumed that Brenda vanished on about October 1st, 1989, that same day that Tony Chester spoke with her. Her Ford station wagon was also missing. Her apartment did not seem like there was any struggle or anything out of order. She left behind all her personal possessions, cash, credit cards, her bank book, driver's license, purse, and her personal diary. And one of her diary entries purportedly said, quote, Rama is my true love. He makes me feel like an ass. This is the end of the fairy tale. Good night. That sounds sus. And after they pulled her body out of the reservoir, just like two weeks ago now, they ruled her death a suicide by drowning. She drove her car into the reservoir. That's all that we know about this, um, about her case. Her parents... Um, you know, they've written about their daughter's, um, their daughter being missing, uh, and tried to get more publicity to help solve the case in the 30 years before they found her body, and her parents maintained that they believed it was either a suicide or a homicide, but that it was definitely related to her being involved in a cult and with Dr. Lenz. After Brenda's disappearance, Dr. Lenz wrote two novels, the first called Surfing the Himalayas, 
about a snowboarder who hooks up with an eastern sage. It was a bestseller in 1995. The next year, 1996, he wrote Snowboarding to Nirvana. And Tina Turner apparently kept his books at her bedside. That's a weird, a weird fact, right? Weird fact, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a weird that's fact. Just an apparent fact. Doctor Lenz uh, drowned near his home oh. in Long Island um, in April 1998 in an apparent suicide after consuming a large amount of barbiturates and either falling or jumping off the dock into the Long Island Sound. And mm. that's the story of the disappearance and discovery of the body of Brenda Kerber. Wow, that went to places that I didn't right. expect it to go. Oh, and this is a picture of the bridge um, which goes over the Muscoot Reservoir in Somers. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know what it looked like in 1989, but it's one of these ones that's just a road over the water and there is like a very small barrier on the side like a, what do you call this? A metal barrier Just like a, a highway regular, barrier not like barrier. there's not anything very tall keeping you from going into the water like a car wouldn't jump over it but i can assume that there was maybe a different configuration at the time but this is the road she was on and this is right near where her body was found or where her car was pulled out yeah um so yeah i mean the theories are either that she committed suicide because of her depression and her situation her involvement with the cult i mean like classic symptoms of like being in a cult she's like totally cut off her family she's financially exploited she doesn't have her career or any support outside of the cult and then the cult leader that she thinks she's in love with is treating her like shit too like that if you already are prone to depression that could definitely just push you over the edge and there are other i didn't go into depths of researching this but there is at least one other student of dr lens who died in a suicide that's related to the cult being in the cult so and then the fact that he later kills himself by drowning it it sounds like there could have been discussions about this you know in within their cult Maybe. You know, or that, yeah, I don't know. Um, So there's nothing really definitively tying Dr. Lenz, you know, to it in a homicide kind of way. Mm -hmm. But he definitely had a hand in her death through exploiting her as part of his spiritual seminars. And he, I mean, even though there's nothing proving that he was related or involved in her death, like he has been very cagey about speaking about her disappearance because obviously he was alive for nine years after she went missing and, you know, found extra success and that caused there to be more attention to him and to his students uh, like Brenda who had, you know, bad things happen to them. Um, And he was very cagey. He got lawyers. He wouldn't speak. He was adamant that he never did anything to hurt anyone, you know, that he never sexually assaulted any of his students, etc. So, yeah. You know what someone who does a lot of sexual assault says? Yes. That they don't. Well, so. obviously. Yeah, so that's um, how you, I found out that um, there's been a body inside of a 1982 Ford Station wagon in the Muscoot Reservoir for our entire lives. Yeah, And so that we've been the woman it. ended up in there because of a... Compu, 
What did they call him? CompuCult. CompuCult leader from California. Wow. Isn't that just wild? Yeah. It's just like so wild. We were drinking a car and like a dead woman for a long time. Well, it's like very creepy because, I mean, you know, people do fish in designated areas of the reservoir. Yeah. Yeah, it's just crazy to me. Like, and there's another case I've told you a little bit about that I'm obsessed with that's from Putnam County. Um, that has to do with a body in a car. Mm-hmm. And, like, just the fact that these, like, there could just be bodies in cars, like, in any body of water. And you could just not, like, how do we not know? But, like, I guess if you're not looking down there. You just wouldn't know. You just wouldn't know. You yeah. And it's weird. Yeah. No, it's weird to me that they didn't have any evidence of, like, a car going over the edge. You know, like, they knew she was missing, like, mm-hmm. 10 days later. If she had driven off the edge, like, don't you think there'd be tracks or, like, disturbed brush, like, based on that picture? Yeah. I mean, I, it's possible that there just wasn't as much guardrail there. Mm-hmm. Maybe she went off the road a little before the bridge maybe yeah. drove into a little bit of a gully or something mm-hmm. um i mean that bridge doesn't seem to be all that high no yeah so my grandma was like as a when i was little she was always like really terrible well actually your mom too right no wait am i making this up does your mom not like to drive over bridges uh no she doesn't she doesn't like yeah, that okay. and you know what else my dad is freaked out by um, like walkways or surfaces that you can see through. Oh, interesting. So, you know, if you have like, uh, say the stairs at the train station are made of like gritted yeah, yeah. metal or something and you can see through it, he hates that. I totally, I totally agree. Or like the, you know, the subway, <laughs> yeah. the air vents and the sidewalk yeah, hates yeah. it. Yeah. I kind of hate those too, but only because they like feel funny on my shoes yeah. and are slippery in I the winter but yeah anyway so my grandma was always like really nervous about like driving over things like this like not even high bridges but just like when it's where just she could a, go in the water yeah where it's just like a road and there's water yeah. on either side of you yeah. and she always said like she used to just have these recurring nightmares when her kids were little of going over into the water and like having to get all the kids out and then like so I was just thinking about that too with this case because there are so many crossings like this in our area mm-hmm. in this part of New York where it's like, yeah, that's just something that could have happened either by accident or on purpose, or on purpose. obviously, like in this case. Yeah. Um, that's the story of Brenda Kerber. Well, that was intense and uh, definitely unexpected. Right? And I'm just glad, like, they found her body. Like, so both her parents died before they found and identified her, which really sucks. But, like, I guess her kids are still around. So at least, like, the family got answers. Um, Because for a while, like, people had had various theories that she just up and started a new life, you know? Reasonable. But that also wasn't the likely scenario. Right. So, yeah. Well, her new life was the cult. Right. I mean, that would have made sense from being in a cult, but, like, there wasn't any other evidence besides um, her involvement in the cult. So, yeah, at least they have answers. Um, At least they got the body out of the car and the car out of the reservoir. And fingers crossed, our drinking water is unmolested by (laughs) car bodies in the future. (laughs) Next week, uh, I'll be bringing the episode to you guys. Until then, you can follow us on Instagram. New York State of Crime. And send us a Gmail. New York State of Crime at gmail.com. And visit our website. New York State of Crime Podcast.com. 
And please send us a Gmail if you know about any other bodies and reservoirs in New York. Yeah, tell us about all the bodies that you know about. Actually, tell us about all the abandoned cars that you know about, too. Yeah, that's creepy. Oh, but there is another body and water case. I forgot. You should do that one next week. You know what? Maybe we'll just stick with the trend. Let's do... Welcome to February Bodies in Cars in in Water Month at New York State of Crime. New York State of Crime. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye.